Welcome to What the Food with Karen Van Barneveld. Much of the time, we mindlessly consume food without really thinking about what's in it and how it affects us. Not only is some food addictive, it also might be unsafe. On our program, you'll find the answers about why food is addictive, how it affects us, and how to find a safe route to better health. Now, here is your host, Karen Van Barneveld. Hey, this is Karen Van Barneveld with WTF What the Food, where we shed light on otherwise dark truths about how conventional food has become a main focus between sickness and wealth. I have Ocean Robbins of Food Revolution Network with me today to talk about his incredible life's journey and passion to share health with the world. Welcome to the show, Ocean. Thank you for coming on. My privilege, Karen. Thanks for having me. Uh, It's my pleasure. Let me tell you folks a little bit about uh, Ocean. At 15, he was the co-founder of the Creating Our Future speaking tour, on which he and three other participants spoke in person to more than 30,000 students, presented for 2,000 people at the United Nations, and opened for the Jerry Garcia Band in San Francisco. In 1990, at 16, Ocean was the founder of Yes!, an organization he directed for the next 20 years. Yes has reached more than 620,000 people in one or 1,200 school assembly and conference presentations. Yes has also organized and facilitated 150 plus week long gatherings for young leaders from 65 plus nations, published seven youth action guides, and led hundreds of day long workshops. In 2012, Ocean founded the Food Revolution Network, which now has more than one half million members working for healthy, sustainable, humane, and delicious food. He serves as adjunct adjunct professor to the Peace Studios Department at Chapman University and has personally spoken and facilitated leadership gatherings in Jordan, Israel, Palestine, Singapore, Costa Rica, Russia, Finland, Canada, the Netherlands, India, Peru, Japan, and across the United States. Ocean has led and co-hosted Food Revolution Summits that have inspired more than 600,000 participants from every country on Earth. His blog articles have reached many millions of people, and he's organized and led dozens of webinars, online classes, retreats, and campaigns. His email newsletters educate, inspire, and empower hundreds of thousands of people daily. Wow. Wow, that is just incredible. And I've got a couple of questions for you today, Ocean. Thanks again for coming on and sharing your unique journey. Well, it's great to be with you. Thanks, Thanks for caring about food and helping people (laughs) be healthy. I'm so glad to be in this work with you. Well, we can only hope that we're doing something to make a positive change. And you come from a pretty unique family. Your grandfather founded the ice cream company Baskin Robbins. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and how that informs the work you do today? Sure, absolutely. So yeah, my grandpa did indeed found Baskin Robbins. My dad, John, Grew up with an ice cream cone-shaped swimming pool (laughs) in the backyard and 31 flavors of ice cream in the freezer. He was groomed to one day join in running the family company. But when he was in his early 20s, 
he was offered that chance and he said no. And he walked away from a path that was practically paved with gold and ice cream to, as we <laughs> jokingly say in our family, follow his own rocky road. <laughs> he ended up moving with my mom to a little island off the coast of Canada where they built a one-room log cabin. They grew most of their own food, practiced yoga and meditation for several hours a day and named their kid Ocean. Of course, that would be me. <laughs> yes. They almost named me Kale, and that was before <laughs> Kale was cool. <laughs> but uh, they took mercy on my future social life and chose a more conservative name. <laughs> nice. Slightly, slightly more conservative. Slightly. But we did eat a lot of kale and carrots and cabbage and veggies and uh, that we grew in the garden. And then when I got a little older, we moved to California, and my dad began work on a book called Diet for a New America, which came out in 1987. It inspired mm -hmm. millions of people to look at their food choices as a chance to make a difference in the world. The media had fun with the story. They ended up calling him the rebel without a cone. <laughs> Among his many readers who were inspired by his work ended up being, as fate would have it, my own grandpa, Irvin Robbins, yeah. who read Diet for New America practically on death's door in his early 70s with serious diabetes and heart disease and weight issues. And um, his doctors gave it to him and told him to read it. He did. He followed its advice. He gave up uh, most animal products. He gave up sugar. He cut way down on processed foods. He gave up ice cream. And he started <laughs> eating a whole lot more vegetables and whole plant foods. And he got results. He ended up uh, losing a bunch of weight. He reversed his diabetes. He reversed his heart disease. And his golf game improved seven strokes. <laughs> but my grandpa was one happy camper. And uh, we really have seen in our family that when we follow the standard American diet, we get the standard American diseases. And when we yeah. make a change, we can get results. And this is something we've seen with so many readers of my dad's books. And then um, myself, I was inspired by his example. And at, at 16, I founded a nonprofit and worked with leaders in over 65 countries for 20 years. Then I moved on from that uh, to launch Food Revolution Network almost 10 years ago now. And, um, you know, we've grown to over 700,000 members and our mission is healthy, ethical, sustainable food for all. Mm -hmm. I founded it with my dad and, and we're really leading this revolution together. It's such a privilege to work with somebody I respect so much, who's an inspiration to so many people and to help carry this work forward to a new generation. Yes. What exactly do you mean by food revolution? Well, we live in a society where it's considered normal to eat food that leads to sickness. Quite yeah. frankly, you know, uh, if, you, if you die of heart disease, that, that's what's going to be on the death certificate. Right. But the truth is that heart disease is actually a symptom. You know, if you, mm -hmm. if you drive your car into a brick wall, the death certificate might say impalement by brick wall. But, <laughs> you know, and I know the real cause was bad driving. So what we have uh -huh. today is a food system that systematically fuels sickness. It makes it predictable. And so we, we don't have to wonder why heart disease is killing 14 million people on planet Earth every single year. Why mm -hmm. cancer is killing 8 million. Why... Uh, you know, two thirds of our population in the United States is overweight or obese, going on close to 70% now. Yeah, These are all symptoms crazy. of a diet and lifestyle that predictably fuels dis-ease. And the yeah. good news is we can do something different. When we eat more fiber, more whole plant foods, more fruits and vegetables, less sugar, less processed junk, less factory farmed animal products, we get tremendous results in our lives. Yeah. 
And the the book that you're you're uh, you've just written or published, the thirty one day food revolution. Um, what's unique about that, and what's different from all the other health and diet books? Well, thirty one day food revolution is my response to a need I see for for so many people. They they get inspired. They want to do the right thing. They have hope. They try to change their diet but somehow bad habits creep back in. And mm-hmm. before long, they're kind of back where they started with a little bit less faith in themselves and a little more cynicism. And we see this play out time and time again, because the truth is for most people, the problem isn't knowing what to do so much as it's doing what they know. Mm-hmm. I mean, if the only issue was that we just needed to know that you know sugar and processed junk is bad for us or that vegetables are good for us, uh, we wouldn't have a, an obesity epidemic. Yeah, But the truth is that for a lot of folks, it's really hard to put it into action. So 31 Day Food Revolution is all about action. It's 31 chapters and every chapter ends with simple action steps you can take to apply what you're learning in your life. And uh, you know, my, my, my perspective is that in the long run, 31 steps towards health can bring you more pleasure, more joy, more vitality than 31 flavors of ice cream. <laughs> 31 days is not a long time to, to really make that big change in your life either. And It's um, not. It's not. There's a lot of research out that says that it takes about a month to, to, set, to have a new habit set in. Yeah. And I, I have no interest in, you know, fueling another fad diet. You know, in the long run, it isn't what you do in a month that matters. It's what you do in a lifetime. But the right use of a month is to set you up for a lifetime. Right. So what's the diet plan? Well, there's four major components. Um, Number one is eat less sugar and processed junk. Mm -hmm. Number two is eat less uh, animal products, especially from factory farms. Number three is eat more whole plant foods. And number three is source consciously. So you can choose more organic, local, fair trade, Mm non-GMO, humane foods instead of, you know, mass production foods that are a product of uh, environmental destruction, cruelty, uh, and that are poisoned. So uh, it doesn't matter who grows your food and how it's produced. And at the end of the day, I want to help people to be agents of positive change, to identify as food revolutionaries, to realize that, you know, every bite we take is a vote. We're voting for the health we want, and we're also voting for the world we want. And so you get to decide, do you want to vote for, you know, essentially slave labor conditions in farms? Do you you want to vote for poison in our fields? Do you want to vote for animals being tortured? Uh, or do you want to vote for something that's more humane and respectful where we replenish our topsoil and we sequester carbon out of the atmosphere and, you know, we, we conserve water by creating healthy soil and we mm-hmm. build up nutrient profiles? You know, if that's what you want to invest in, where, where the people who grow our food are paid enough to feed their own families, then you can do that too. And so yeah. I like to focus on that because our, our food system has become a commodity and when yes. we commoditize the very source of life itself, we lose something of our basic humanity. So I'm trying yes. to help us reweave our sense of the sacred, our sense of partnership with life, so that food becomes an act of self-respect and self-love, as well as integrity to the world around us. Yes. Instead of in sickness and in wealth. That's right. You also talk about eating uh, in a humane way. What does that mean? Well, humane... Uh, means uh, I, I personally i do not want my food choices to be fueling uh, torture of animals or you know exploitation of farm workers mm-hmm. so to me ethics come into play here 
and it's a it's a big part of my values as a food revolutionary. Um, and the more we learn, the more impact we realize we have. Uh, case in point, in the state of California, where I live, life expectancy for farm workers is about 49 years, according to one study. Wow. So, uh, and, and they're not dying of hunger. They're dying, for the most part, of things like cancer, mm-hmm. which is off the charts, because they're, they're handling pesticides in the fields. And then they're bringing that home. And yeah. it's, it's killing the farm workers. You know, if you've ever heard of the canary in the coal mine. Sure. You no, know, it doesn't take a coal miner to realize that when farm workers are dying of cancer in their 40s, it's probably not good for the consumer either. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that's one example where when you eat more organically grown food, yes, you're getting a lower pesticide burden, but you're also contributing to less pesticides poisoning farm workers in the fields and poisoning our water and air supplies. Mm-hmm. And that's a big stand you can take. Uh, and then Humane also looks at animals and says, you know, I don't want my food choices to fuel the torture of animals. You know, we have chickens that have their, they're, they're in such close quarters that they go insane and, yeah. and they try to peck each other to death. And so they're, the answer, industry's answer isn't to improve their conditions, it's to cut their beaks off. Right. So that they will still try to peck each other to death, but they can't succeed. Um, and, you know, that, but they're still insane. Yeah. Um, you know, I, one of my friends is, is a man named Craig Watts. I interviewed him as I was researching 31 Day Food Revolution. This is a, was a chicken farmer for several decades and, uh, in North Carolina. And uh, Craig Watts did everything that Purdue told him to do. Uh, he bought all the supplies. He had big warehouses. He had about 30,000 birds. They were being raised for meat. And uh, they, they were, you know, in, a, in conditions where they never saw the sun. They, they never touched dirt. They lived on concrete. They would stand on the fe- fecal material uh, of not only themselves, but generations of birds before them. The, mm-hmm. the, the, the barn, which had a cement floor, a concrete floor, was um, cleaned every few years. Ugh. And so generation after generation of birds are standing there and pooping. And then that's what they're standing in. And they were bred to be morbidly obese, kind of the equivalent to a human infant that by, the, by three months old would weigh 600 pounds. Right. That's how distorted this is. So they, they were morbidly obese to the point that they would lose the ability to walk. Mm-hmm. So they're lying there sitting in their own poop and their feathers fall off and they develop sores and abscesses and they get sick. And so about 5% of the birds would actually die before they were killed. So if you walked around his barn, they have about one square foot per bird. They are, uh, you know, going crazy and there's lying in poop. They can't walk and their 5% of the bodies are already dead, yeah. lying there. And, um, you know, this was what he was doing to try to be competitive in a, a hyper-competitive chicken industry. He was an award-winning producer. His <laughs> farm was inspected by Purdue every week to make sure he was following the rules. He was forbidden by contract from ever opening the windows or giving the chickens any natural light oh because gosh. that would stimulate them to move more, which would bring down the feed conversion ratio. They wanted the birds as fat as possible, as quickly as possible. So uh, finally, Craig sees an ad on TV. It's uh, Jim Perdue from Perdue Farms telling everybody how great they treat the chickens (laughs) and saying that our birds are happy and they're healthy and that makes good meat. And when he saw that, something turned inside him and he said, you know, what I'm doing is wrong. And uh, I I may be doing something cruel, but I am not a liar. 
And if I yeah. allow this to be publicized on my behalf, then I'm essentially participating in this. Right. I'm not willing to do that. So what he did was he ended up inviting Compassion in World Farming, which is a nonprofit organization that exposes, you know, poor treatment of animals in factory farms. They come, came in with cameras. This wasn't some kind of undercover operation. Mm-hmm. They came in with the full invitation of the farmer and he showed them his award-winning Purdue farm. And he showed the dead bodies and he showed the birds with abscesses. And, and what he said was, he said, I'm no vet, but I can tell you these birds are not healthy. Yeah. And I'm not a psychologist, but I can tell you they're not happy. And um, so anyway, that video went viral and got shown all over the world. And Purdue was not pleased. They, uh, they ended up, uh, you know, punishing him in all the, all the ways that they could. He ended up selling his operation and uh, actually getting rid of all of his gear. And now he's growing food for humans, you know, row crops. And he's mm-hmm. become, but he's focusing on uh, becoming a consultant now. He advises uh, factory farm um, uh, managers to change careers. Wow. To more humane and sustainable directions. And so Craig is really one of my heroes and uh, interviewing him was such an extraordinary life-changing experience for me, um, you know, because uh, honestly, I'd, I'd never really thought as much about what it's like for the people working in this industry, mm-hmm. you know, what it must be like. Do you think they like bashing the brains of, you know, pigs in? Do you think, do you think they like, you know, uh, the cries of the mother cows when their babies are taken away at birth? Yeah. Of course not. In fact, slaughterhouse workers have rates of PTSD that are higher than the military. I believe that. Yeah. And um, so we, we have a very inhumane system from top to bottom. And uh, as you know, I think uh, even people who eat meat, maybe especially people who eat meat, have a stake in wanting the animals that are raised for food to be treated humanely. You know, you don't have to be a vegetarian to care about animals. You don't have to be a vegetarian to say, this is wrong. We should do something better. And so uh, what I'm doing is saying, vote with your dollars, vote with your life choices, and say no to bringing this cruelty into your body. Yes. And there's also a lot to be said about the state of mind of the animal when it does die and the, the energy that's in that meat that you consume. And I know this sounds very woo-woo to many people, but... I believe everything is energy and that the remnants of that torture are in that meat that you consume. Yes. So, um, in chapter 25 of your book, you discuss the myths and truths about GMOs. And for our listeners who may not be aware of what a GMO is, would you please give them a brief overview? Sure. Absolutely. So GMO, some people mean it mean, think it means God move over, but it actually means <laughs> genetically modified organism. And uh, GMOs were developed with the promise that they would give the world more drought-resistant crops, bigger yields, better flavor, better nutrition, and lower pesticide consumption. But 25-plus years into the mass cultivation of GMOs in our food system, we haven't gotten any of those benefits. We haven't gotten better yield. In fact, a report from Union of Concerned Scientists that studied the issue concluded that GMO crops were not associated with any greater productivity per acre. Mm -hmm. We haven't gotten any reduction in water consumption, any improvement in 
flavor, any uh, improvement in nutritional value, and we've led to a net increase of hundreds of millions of pounds of pesticides. Yeah. What we have got is crops that have one or both of two traits. They are pesticide producers, which means they literally produce the insecticide Bt in every cell of the plant. So if a bug takes a bite, their stomach splits open and they die. Some of these mm -hmm. plants are literally registered with the EPA as pesticides. And they are um, uh, herbicide tolerant, which means they can be sprayed with herbicides like Monsanto, Bayer's Roundup, or with 2,4-D and mm -hmm. other toxins. And they, uh, the weeds will die and the plants will not. So now we've got weed killer being sprayed directly on crops that are eaten by humans, which was never done before. And so now that this is happening, we're consuming totally unprecedented quantities of glyphosate, which is the primary yeah. active ingredient in Roundup, along with other herbicides. And this is having an impact. Glyphosate is a known, uh, it's, it's an endocrine disruptor. It's a probable mm -hmm. carcinogen. And um, it's, um, you know, it's just wreaking havoc on our systems. A lot of people don't realize that it's actually been patented as an antibiotic. So it can kill bacteria. And mm -hmm. some of those bacteria reside in your digestive tract. So if, if you have noticed in the last generation an increase in food allergies, in food yes. sensitivities, in autoimmune conditions, you're not alone. And it's not accidental. There are, we don't know all the reasons why these are happening, but it's certainly possible that rampant exposure to glyphosate could be a significant factor. Absolutely. So these are some good reasons to steer clear of GMOs. And, and if you want to do so, here's the good news. The simplest way to do it is just to eat organic. Organically grown foods, by definition, are not GMO, and they're glyphosate-free. You can also focus on the big five crops that are most commonly genetically engineered, which is corn, soy, canola, which is used, you know, rapeseed, which is used for mm -hmm. canola oil, um, sugar beets, which are a good portion of the sugar supply, and cottonseed oil because a lot of our cotton is GMO. So if you steer clear of those specific crops, unless they're either organic or certified non-GMO, you can slash your exposure. There's also some GMO cultivation of Hawaiian papayas, mm -hmm. of uh, certain summer squash, zucchini, um, and a bit of potatoes and apples coming on the market now. The other thing, if you're worried about glyphosate that you need to look out for is the possibility um, of exposure through um, crops like wheat, oats, and certain other and certain legumes, where yeah. it's used as a desiccant to dry out the crop before harvest. Mm -hmm. So well, there's a pretty good amount of glyphosate coming into our diet through non-organic wheat. So that's a good place to steer clear as well. The wheat isn't genetically engineered, but it's now being sprayed with glyphosate. Mm -hmm. um, and so, again, going organic is sort of the gold standard here. Certified non-GMO will protect you with the GMO crops. It, it won't protect you necessarily from desiccant use of the right. glyphosate. Well, I like to say GMO is God made organics. That's, <laughs> that's the title right. of my book, not uh, GMOs. Yeah, yeah, good. <laughs> and uh, I, I was just interviewing uh, John Gray, Dr. John Gray, and talking about how safe you know, organics really are. And even organics, some of them are sprayed en route from the fields to the store 
with the desiccants. So, I mean, we have to eat something. So eating organic, of course, is going to be your best option or growing your own food, growing your own uh, fruits and vegetables, which I like to do. But, um, well, listeners, you can find more information about Ocean Robins and Food Revolution Network on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and where else, Robin, or Ocean? Well, the best place is to go to foodrevolution.org. That's our website. Ah. Um, and yeah, we're on Instagram and, and so forth. But yeah, you, uh, foodrevolution.org. We have thousands of blog articles with lots of great information completely for free. And then additional resources you can jump into. You can also go to 31, the number 31, dayfoodrevolution.com to learn more about the book or get it wherever good books are sold. Okay. And the new book, 31 Day Revolution, can also be found on your website, right? OceanRobbins.com? It can, yep. It's 31 Day Food Revolution. Yep, exactly. Okay. And coming up after the break, we're going to be talking about eating healthy on a budget. And that's, that's where the eating organic comes in. Stay tuned for more information from Ocean Robbins. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. When a woman is diagnosed with breast cancer, it's probably the most frightening thing that's ever happened to her. Friends and family often don't know what to do for support, not to mention the patient herself. That's where Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio comes in. Join Becky Olson, breast cancer survivor and advocate. She helps by providing inspiration, information, and most of all, hope. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to What the Food. To reach Karen Van Barneveld or her guest on the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to karen at whatthefoodfilm.com. Now, back to the program. Hey, welcome back to What the Food. 
and I'm here with Ocean Robbins, the author of The 31 Day Food Revolution and founder of Food Revolution Network. And I want to thank you again for coming on the show today and sharing your plethora of fabulous information for our listeners. And um, one of the things that you talk about in your book is how to eat healthy on a budget. But we know that organic food costs a lot. I always tell people, if you, you either pay now or you pay later to the doctors or with loss of work, uh, etc. But what are some ways that you advise people to have access to organic foods of any social strata? Well, I I grew up in a one-room log cabin in the middle of the woods with parents who were living very simply, and we ate really well. We grew a lot of food in the garden. We um, We ate staples. We never ate out at restaurants. The island where I was born, there there weren't any restaurants for 20 miles from us. <laughs> so <laughs> we were very self-reliant. And I learned that you can eat really well on very little money. Yeah. And I think it's one of the one of the kind of tragedies of our times is that we've correlated healthy food with wealth and privilege. And uh, that leaves a whole lot of people out. Yeah. And, and then we end up in a situation where, uh, you know, statistically, the wealthier you are, the more likely you are to to be healthy, which actually fuels the, the wealth gap. Because mm-hmm. people who are sick more and hurting more and struggling more get behind financially. And mm-hmm. then that, that fuels intergenerational cycles of poverty. And one of the ways you can break free from that is by applying the principles of healthy eating, which you can do from any economic context. So, um, so you know, if you want to save money, and eat well. Here are some of the top tips. Number one, cut out the waste. The average American family wastes over $2,000 a year in food that literally goes bad in the fridge or the cupboard. Mm. It ends up in the garbage. That's real money. That yeah. really adds up. So uh, scouring through your fridge and your cupboards, cleaning things up, making sure you're getting, uh, using up all the food that's there is, is critical here. Um, and uh, And then... Another layer of that is cutting out the impulse purchases. Uh, a lot of the um, shopping we do is from lists. But when we go off list, we're invariably <laughs> tending to add things to our cart that are the least healthy and often the most processed. Mm-hmm. So if you, if you plan ahead and say you're just going to buy what's on the list, that can save big money. Number three is to focus on the real healthy staples. So rather than, you know, you don't need $30 a pound Himalayan goji berries to be healthy <laughs> and, you know, or fancy this is, or that's even with mushrooms. There's all these extremely expensive medicinal mushrooms. They taste fascinating. They have interesting nutritional profiles, but button mushrooms are super duper healthy. Yeah. So you can just go with the simple things, base your diet around cabbage and carrots and onions and mushrooms, button mushrooms, and, you know, whole grains, Legumes are not expensive at all. Yeah. So you can sprout your legumes and then pressure cook them or cook them in a slow cooker. And, uh, you know, some quinoa, some legumes, some cabbage, some raw veggies. Uh, make a great dinner. Uh, next step is don't overeat. The average American gets about 500 calories too many. This is fueled in part 
by food addiction and by the fact that we're, we're calorie rich, but we're nutrient starved. Mm-hmm. When you get enough fiber, it tells your belly that you're full and you're, you're less hungry. So you want to get enough fiber, enough of the vitamins and minerals and critical nutrients that you need to be well, and that will set you up for success and re- ultimately help to reduce food cravings. If you're going to binge late at night, don't let it be on cookies and chips. Get those out of the house. You can binge away. I'm giving you permission to binge on raw kale or bok choy <laughs> to your heart's content next time you're watching TV and you need some comfort food. No worries. The only side effects are good ones. Yeah. So you want to focus on the healthy foods and guess what? You probably won't binge because your body <laughs> will say, all right, I'm full. I got it. Um, and, you know, granted, maybe the taste isn't the same. I admit kale doesn't taste as good as donuts. I wish it did. It doesn't. But you know something? Uh, your body actually likes it better. And we've got to learn to love foods that love us back. Yeah. Um, then eating out at restaurants is another big spendy thing that can be fun, but it definitely costs. You pay a premium price for the restaurant owners, for the for rent on the building, for all of the employees. You're not just buying the food. So cooking for yourself or cooking for loved ones, cooking in quantity, planning ahead can save big. So again, uh, focus on the real staples, base your diet around legumes and whole grains and healthy vegetables and in-season fruits. Um, and then you know, cut out the waste Plan ahead, shop from a list, avoid impulse purchases, eat in more, eat out less. All of this can save big money. It all adds up. It's a lot of drops in the bucket. So you could say, yeah. oh, one little, one little choice here, one little splurge there. Fine if you can afford it. But if you're trying to save money, you've got to be scrupulous until you get healthy habits in place. Right. Well, and very few people are many people are not eating out right now because of the COVID. So maybe they're buying better food at home and learning how to cook. And uh, that's a great opportunity for me to plug my new book, which is What the Food. It's a cookbook. And uh, I'm taking pre-orders for that on my website, whatthefood.org. So um, you know that the poor are extremely disadvantaged when it comes to being able to access these healthy foods. And many of them are living in what's commonly known as food deserts, basically meaning that there's no fresh produce to be found within several miles of their home. What do you think we can do to change that? Well, um, the, the, the top thing we can do to change that is to, first of all, spread the word, uh, we need to create demand in those communities. Stores will go there if they can make money at it mm-hmm. is the truth of it. Um, so that starts with some education and for people who live in communities that are food deserts, you know, spread the word and advocate. Uh, we need tax subsidies for businesses that locate in those communities, particularly with healthy foods. We need to increase the value of food stamps or SNAP dollars with mm-hmm. fruits and vegetables. There's a program called Wholesome Wave that's been pioneering that. They've raised uh, tens of millions of dollars to double the value of fruits and vegetables uh, for SNAP, wow. SNAP buyers, and it's working. Studies it's called are what showing, again? Uh, wholesome Wave. Wholesome, like wholesome, you know, uh-huh. uh, Wave, W-A-V-E. Okay. And, so, and they, um, it, th- th- what we found is that when people get double value for fruits and vegetables, they buy more fruits and vegetables. Mm -hmm. and then they eat more fruits and vegetables, and then they're healthier because of it. 
And that's a way that we can increase demand in some of those communities that have a lot of SNAP recipients, because then suddenly they're going to want to buy more fruits and vegetables. And it's a, mm -hmm. it's a leverage point to up-level the health of our entire society. Uh, and we can also support uh, community gardens and school gardens. Yes, yes, when people yes. grow food, they're much more likely to eat that same food. And connection with land is great. Local self-reliance is great. And in communities with high unemployment, sometimes growing food is a really wonderful thing for people to do with their time that's useful and productive and ends up feeding the community. So community gardens are wonderful. Um, nutritional education in schools, improving school meal programs, yes. which you can do at a local level by reaching out to the local uh, uh, food services coordinator for your community. You can contact any local school and ask how the food is handled. You can talk to them, learn what they're struggling with and what they're doing to try to innovate and make healthy food available in the community. Often education has to go hand in hand so students know why the food is good. Mm -hmm. um, when you pair all these things together, if they're learning about healthy food and they're growing healthy food and their school is serving healthy food, then you're setting kids up for a lifetime of greater health. Yes. So does, does uh, Wholesome Wave take donations? Uh, yes, they do. Absolutely. It's a nonprofit and they're completely dependent on donations. Again, it's Wholesome Wave. You can go to wholesomewave.org. Um, we're, we're big supporters of theirs, actually. Um, it's a wonderful okay. organization. And they're also doing lobbying. They're not just um, trying to you know, get consumer money into these places, but they're actually lobbying to change government policy because at the end of the day, it should be taxpayers that are funding uh, the doubling of fruits and vegetables because taxpayers are going to save big in uh, Medicare care costs and, sure. and in uh, insurance premiums and in so many other ways when we have a healthier society. Mm -hmm. Well, you've written um, that there's neuroscience explaining why gratitude makes us healthier. And I express gratitude before eating anything that I put into my body by acknowledging all the elements, the hands and the work that helped to bring it to me. Um, can you tell us what that expressing gratitude means to you? Yes. Um, so, what the neuroscience is showing us is that gratitude doesn't just make us more aware of what's good so that things seem better. It actually makes what's good greater. What we appreciate appreciates. Mm -hmm. And um, so there, there are studies showing us that people who take even five minutes a day just to write down three things they're grateful for at the end of the day, uh, they don't just sleep better. They don't just have attitudinal improvements they're more likely to exercise. They're more likely to eat better. Their marriages are more likely to survive. Hmm. And they're more likely to live longer. So I'll, I'll be honest, when I first heard about the research on gratitude, I thought, oh, sure, of course, people who express more gratitude are going to be healthier because they've got more to be grateful for. <laughs> I mean, if you're sick, what, how, who's going to be grateful, right? But <laughs> if you're healthy, then you got reason for gratitude. But no, it turns out that starting from anywhere, including people who are really suffering, when they take the practice of gratitude on and express gratitude regularly, their life changes for the better. Mm. It doesn't make all your problems go away, but it makes there be a bit less of them. And it also makes you able to steer in a positive way. So you do have more capacity to actually enjoy your life. You know, mm -hmm. when you're more grateful, you're less likely to feel downtrodden and angry and disappointed by life. And you're less likely to make the choices that come from that disappointment, which tend to not be the best. Right. You know, if you think life has done you wrong, then you're more likely to go out for donuts. 
you think that you are a blessed child of God, you're more likely to eat some kale. I'm serious. It's just how we work psychologically. <laughs> so let yourself be blessed by receiving the blessings. And the kale. And the kale. And the kale. <laughs> yes, I love my kale. It's a, it's a positive feedback loop. Right, right. Well, what gives you hope for the world of food? We are seeing an explosion and we're participating in an explosion of interest in organic food, natural food, plant-based food, uh, less processed junk. Uh, you know, food companies are actually changing their formulas. I just saw recently, not that I'm going to eat it, but I saw organic Doritos at my local Safeway. What? Yeah, I'm not kidding you. We've got, we've got <laughs> Burger King with, with uh, vegan burgers. We've got McDonald's coming out with one. Um, they're, they're thinking about launching a whole plant-based line in McDonald's for everything. Oh my goodness. Yeah. The world is changing. Uh, you got to wonder what's going to be in that though. I'm yeah. Well, sorry. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not endorsing <laughs> that way of eating. Uh, we yeah. need real food, not processed junk, yeah. but I'll tell you what, it, it may not be better for human health, but it's better for the animals who aren't being tortured yes. and it's better for our planet, uh, when it comes to climate change. And so I appreciate those steps even if they're baby steps. And then at the end of the day, I'm also excited for all the people who are just choosing to eat more real food in general. Um, and across the board, sales of sugary breakfast cereals are going down. Sales of uh, cow dairy are going down dramatically. Mm-hmm. And people are eating more plant milks, more healthy foods um, across the board. And uh, I think that's very exciting. And it gives me a lot of hope. Sales of certified non-GMO foods in the last nine years have gone from nothing to over $30 billion in sales, for example. Yeah. So people care. They, they want to do the right thing. And uh, they're starting to learn how. And they are voting with their forks, obviously. Yes. So what's your recommendation for what we need to do to expand that food revolution? Well, it starts with... What you put on your own plate, you got to practice what you <laughs> preach and live it as best you can. Kale. And then, yeah, kale, 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 yeah. Kale, yes. Kale, yes. <laughs> yeah, and all the other vegetables and fruits yeah. and legumes and whole grains. And, you know, each of us has to find our optimal, uh, you know, rhythm and flow and what works for us. There's no one size fits all formula for how you should eat or how you should live. Just because a study says that something is good for most people most of the time doesn't mean it's good for you all of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you learn, you innovate, you practice, and you grow. And uh, as you do so, life gets better and brighter. And then you become contagious. Your, your health becomes contagious. People will start asking you, what's your secret? <laughs> you know, why are you so mm-hmm. slim and so healthy? Why are you so bright? Why are you always smiling? Why do you have so much energy all day long? <laughs> you're like, well, funny, you should ask. It's the food, <laughs> you know, and suddenly they, they want to, they are curious. Um, you can't shove it down people's throats, but you, no. can, you can embody and walk the talk and be a living example. And that inspires people. Um, and uh, the truth is that individual choice changes collective policy and collective practice. You know, we're very social creatures. Mm-hmm. When I was a kid growing up, you know, whole wheat bread was rarely found and it was usually a bit moldy and tasted mm-hmm. like cardboard. And now it's everywhere. And now we got a whole grain gluten-free breads too. You know, when I was a kid, you couldn't find soy milk in a supermarket. <laughs> now you can find soy, almond, hemp, you know, I don't know what the heck it is. Walnut. <laughs> uh, they're coming out with, there's probably going to be chia seed milk soon. You know, it's macadamia, macadamia, cashew. Cashew, yeah. People are going crazy. And uh, so the world has opened wide. And I think that 
um, the world of possibility continues to expand and it brings us more opportunities and resources. And it started with consumer behavior. You know, Burger King didn't decide to have a, a vegetarian burger because they suddenly woke up and said, oh my God, we're destroying the tropical rainforests. <laughs> we're giving people heart attacks. We better change. No, they, they made the change because they could make more money doing that. Right. And so uh, consumers have power in that. Um, I, I had the opportunity a few years back, I was, we, we launched a campaign calling on people to boycott Coca-Cola um, because of their um, support of um, fighting GMO labeling in states across the country. Mm-hmm. And we focused on the natural brands they own. So we called on our members to boycott, you know, Honest Tea and Sani and Zico Coconut Water and uh, Simply Orange and the, the other natural brands that Coke owns, as well as Coke itself. And uh, ended up getting into meetings with them, you know, and they said, we're only one small company. We can't change this all by ourselves, but let's get some folks together. So they brought leaders from Nestle and Coke and um, Unilever and Mars and American Beverage Association. And we brought in leaders from uh, Consumer Reports uh, published uh, by Consumers Union and from um, Just Label It and uh, Center for Food Safety and Food Revolution Network. And we all convened, convened in Washington, D.C. for a series of meetings over the course of a couple of years. And uh, we got really close to a piece of legislation. We had attorneys working on it from both sides that we were ready to introduce to Congress that would have called for um, you know, a, a universal solution on GMO labeling that the food mm-hmm. industry and the food movement would have signed on to together, which would have been kind of revolutionary. Unfortunately, we didn't actually pull that off in time because the um, the government passed what what we call the what's, we we call the uh, Dark Act, Deny right. Americans Right to Know Act, which eviscerated GMO labeling in the United States. Yeah, but we came really close, and some companies still chose to volunteer. Mars chose to volunteer to disclose if they use GMOs in their products, and they said that our meetings helped propel them to do the right thing that they knew they should have done all along. And they also moved away from GMOs for the most part. Um, And when I was talking with one of the senior VPs of Nestle, we had a fascinating conversation. And I'll never forget her saying to me, I'll be honest with you. She said, "Um, we have not prioritized health a whole lot in our products. Mm -hmm. Our goal has been to make tasty and convenient food available to as many people as possible, regardless of income. Yeah. And she said, but health has not gotten a front seat. She said that the problem is when we do introduce a healthier product, it usually doesn't sell very well. And that's a problem. And I was like, well, you need a better chefs on your team for one thing. But, <laughs> but uh, at the same time, I recognize the issue, right? And, you know, it doesn't do any of us any good if every time a company does the right thing, they go out of business the next month. Mm-hmm. So we've got to change the marketplace so that there's a demand for healthy food. And that's what we're starting to do. Yeah. And we're starting to see results. And it's why, you know, supermarkets are stocking organic food with pride and plant-based milks and all the rest. So it is changing yeah. uh, step by step, but we've got a long way to go. And frankly, we need government policies to change too. So we stop subsidizing junk food. Yeah. So as, as taxpayers and as, you know, voters, we do need to hold our political leaders accountable for the choices they make. And right now, functionally, you know, big government is sold out to the highest bidder when it comes to agribusiness. And the highest bidder is the folks who are profiting from the status quo. It's factory farmers, it's 
you know, people with 30,000 acres of row crops, it's Mm. it's mega agribusiness and the chemical companies that are profiting from this. And the small Mm -hmm. farmers, the family farmers, the organic farmers don't have a fighting chance. And so we've got to shift some of those dynamics so that, so that the weight of government support goes to people who are growing healthy food for the people who need it. Yeah. And again, voting with your fork. So that's we, right. we have to become more conscious of, you know, feeding our bodies what we're meant to eat. Well, for every new copy of your book that's sold, you've pledged to donate to Trees for the Future so they can plant an organic fruit or nut tree in low-income communities. What was the inspiration behind that? Well, um, we, you know, it's been, um, I've always wanted to embed social impact in everything I do so that the more successful anything I do is the more positive impact we have on the planet. And one of the steps that we decided to do with this book um, was to tie it to fruit or nut trees for low-income communities because I couldn't think of any more strategic way to guarantee that every single book was more than covering the impact of the tree, the recycled mm-hmm. paper it was printed on. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so, the, you know, those are my values. And I want to see a world where everybody has food to eat and where we have more tree cover and where we sequester carbon. And how wonderful that we can accomplish all of that in one fell swoop. So, yeah, we've planted, uh, we, we've, we've funded the planting of um, over 40,000 trees this year. And wow. uh, that's pretty exciting. Hopefully we can do a lot more next year. That's amazing, Ocean. Thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. Well, for those of our viewers who want to step forward and take action based on your message, Ocean, what's the one thing that they can do starting today? Well, the number one thing that that people can do is to eat less processed junk and animal products and more healthy food. So, you know, start where you are and take a look at where you want to go and what's your next step. This isn't about making the perfect into the enemy of the good. It's about moving forward inexorably, unstoppably on your path of fulfillment and joy and satisfaction and health. So, you know, clear out the bad stuff from your fridge and your kitchen, empty out those cupboards. If there's, you're living with somebody who doesn't eat the way you do, then give them their own shelf or their own cupboard and don't <laughs> touch it so that you are just exposed to the foods that are good for you. And then, yes. you know, make a shopping list and, and plan to, uh, to shop from that list. And, you know, and then you find some good recipes that you love that are healthy. And bring them into your starting rotation. Make them weekly for a while. And keep adding a new one every week. And let it grow. Think about how you can methodically build. So I'm sharing more than one thing because it kind of depends where you are on the journey, what your next step is. But wherever you are, I guarantee there is a next step. Every one of us can do more, can eat more veggies. If you're already eating a pound a day, head towards two pounds a day, honestly. Why not? of, of, Of vegetables. Get some raw in there. I mean, there's always steps we can take to keep moving in a healthier direction you know, your life will change forever because of it. Your body will thank you for the rest of your life. Yes. Well, tell us again where we can find you in your book. Well, you can uh, go to foodrevolution.org to find out all about our work with Food Revolution Network. You can grab 31 Day Food Revolution at your local bookstore or online retailers. Um, And you also find the food revolution in your heart every time you Hmm. choose real food over processed junk. Every time you say no to 
uh, the status quo and yes to a healthier life, you're part of the food revolution and I thank you for it. Yes. Say no to GMO too. Um, I want to remind listeners to like our show on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram. Give us a five-star rating. And again, you can find out more information about our topics of discussion today on all the top uh, social media platforms. And please click the link here on my host page to pre-order my new cookbook, What the Food Cooking Organically, or a copy of God Made Organics, Not GMOs. You can also watch the what the Food 8-Minute Documentary Trailer on whatthefoodfilm.org. You can also visit the website and make a donation tax-deductible to the nonprofit, which will help us finish our documentary. Actually, uh, four years into it. And proceeds from your purchases and donations go towards our documentary work in progress. And then you can check out Heavenly Yoga heavenly yoga with one Y to subscribe to my 24 seven yoga classes or join my partner and me for a revitalizing retreat at harmony and heart retreats next year in gorgeous and serene Sedona. Uh, Just click on the banner here on the host page or go to harmonyandheart.com to check out our early bird $500 discounts. There's limited availability on that. And then Tune in next week for my interview with Patty Reese. Patty's a holistic health nutrition and recovery coach and past president of the Alliance for Addiction Solutions. She's also the founder of High Vibe Recovery and Zen Brain Nutrition and a holistic gourmet. Thank you again, Ocean, so much for coming on. I really value your your mission and everything that you bring to the world, everything you've brought to the world since you were just a little teenager. And (laughs) (laughs) any parting words? I just want to thank you for the opportunity and thanks you everybody for listening and for your time, your attention, your curiosity, and for voting with every dollar you spend and every bite you take for the health you want and the world you want. Let's do this. Yes. And always I remind our listeners to be kind to yourselves. Thank you. And we'll hear you next week. Thank you for joining host Karen Van Barneveld and What the Food. Be sure to tune in for another episode next Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again soon. 